Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I am Clark Coffee, and with me, as always, is Mr. Cullen McFader. What's up, my dude? Hello, it's McFader, <laughs> Cullen McFader. <laughs> <laughs> it's McFader, Cullen McFader. Yes, and I'm, if you I'm in the tell, running now, so. <laughs> if you couldn't tell from that little bitty hint, we're going to be covering, for the first time ever, a Bond film. And which one mm-hmm. are we going to be talking about? On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is Cullen's pick. Mm-hmm. I was totally taken by surprise by this pick. Uh, I, I just never imagined that you'd pick a Bond film, A. And then out of all the Bond films there are, I was even more surprised that you, that you picked this one. But I'm really happy you did. Um, I'm not like the biggest Bond fan in the world, but I, I really, I do like me some James Bond though. And it Mm -hmm. had been really long time since I'd seen this one. And as we're going to go into more detail on this one is like a, is, is definitely unique out of all the Bond films there are. This is Mm -hmm. one of the, you know, a lot of ways. Yeah. In a lot of ways, this is like, maybe I would say maybe like the second most unique one, (laughs) but the, the, uh, the most unique one is not considered canon, but um which one would you consider the the original casino royale yeah i think so yeah Yeah. if you can't beat them join them if you're scared to fight it out watch him and watch out if you think your girl's a good looker take a good look at this guy's dolls my name's bond James Bond. The new Bond. The different 007 on Her Majesty's Secret Service. The new star. The different Bond. The name's Lazenby. George Lazenby, and he's got it made. The different Bond woman, the name's Rake, Diana Rake. This one's got class and style. Telly Savalas, Gabriel Fazetti, and 007 times more excitement. If you think you know your Bond, think again. This one's different. It's true! (laughs) Drop everything. Try and make it. Marvelous is the password for the different Bond. says this never happened to the other fella Cullen I'm curious you picked the film um when was the first time you had seen the film and kind of describe that for us and what you thought and how you came to it and everything like that yeah I mean I was really really into James Bond as a kid um, okay like now my now, first was that because you're like, did, was your father, did that, was that kind of like no, something neither, your dad was I, into or? Neither of my parents, they knew, like, obviously it's, it's not yeah. like it was an, un- everybody in, knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, no, I, I, I remember the first time I saw a James Bond movie was cause I rented oh. Goldeneye at Blockbuster. Um, and I <laughs> yes. was probably, again, I was probably like five or six and. Okay. And so it. you picked that out, you picked that yeah. out on your own. Yeah. Cause now, I remember my mom, her only comment about it was just that he like, she, I remember her saying that James Bond always drives very fast was her comment. And okay. <laughs> then I, that was actually the first movie I ever made was right after I watched Goldeneye and, and I took my like little tape so now, high eight camera and, and dragged it around the floor to pretend to be the James Bond car and I love like, it. said little funny things in a British So this accent. would have been like 96 or so, right? Because like uh, Golden uh, Knight No, I, this would have probably been like, it was Golden Knight had been oh. out for a while. It was probably like 2000, 
three ish maybe wait 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 so 2003 was was the the year that you first saw so i i always have to remind myself how young you are yeah well i was born in 98 so yeah yeah i was like so obviously you would have been unable to have seen golden eye in 96 when it would have maybe first plopped out onto onto blockbuster or whatever Uh, so that clearly was impossible (laughs) but no yeah okay but i was brosden was yeah brosden was definitely my my bond as a kid that was your bond yeah, like my still to this day, I know it's not a very highly regarded one, but my like yeah. my favorite Bond movie to just sit down and watch is Tomorrow Never Dies. I still okay. love that one. Um, now, and so Brosnan, yeah, definitely. I had all the now games. Now, did you have the Game Nintendo Cube game? And, yep. Did you have the GoldenEye Nintendo game? On 64, yeah. And then yeah, I had Nightfire okay. on uh, GameCube. And um, yeah, I loved, loved James, like just was hugely into him. And then okay, that lasted right up until... Um, like I want to say high school, I I I was never super into Craig, even though as I got older he was kind of the the James Bond. But right um, from from like I was always really into yeah, two thousand six was yeah Casino Royale, yeah. and then I, I but I remember being you know in grade nine and and I think that was right before Skyfall was coming out, and I was like, well, I want to watch all of them, and so I went and I got the um, the Bond fifty Blu-ray, yep. which had all I've of got them it. at the time. And, I've got uh, it. Yep watched all of them and i'd seen most of them before but there were a few in there that i was missing and i can't actually remember the first time i watched on her majesty's secret service but i do remember one time i was probably in middle school and i saw it um on new year's eve at the tiff bell Lightbox here in toronto so i got to see it in theaters and that's now did you seek this out now that now so okay so you're in middle school Mm -hmm. it's new year's eve going to to see a movie on New Year's Eve it is, at least in my experience, is not like what your average middle schooler does. Yeah. yeah. Set that set that up for me. Was that something like you went out and sought, sought on your own? Did your parent like... No, I, get... I think I went with my mom and... Um, okay. I can't remember what... I must have seen the... I, I think I was a TIFF member at the time, which I still am, but like I think I must have gotten an email or seen some ad for it somewhere yeah, that yeah. they were playing this on, okay. on New Year's Eve. And, and that so, was the first time you remember seeing it. Yeah, I know that I had seen it before. Like, it wasn't... I'd probably okay. watched it... On TV like, or something. A, a year before that anyway, and and, yeah. and had rented it or something. At, um, but I... Uh, so I definitely... It wasn't like it was a new experience for me then, but that's the time that I remember... That I most vividly remember seeing it. And, uh, and what did you it think was very, of it then? Oh, man. It, I mean, then it was really... It's like just the... It really, you know, not to harp on the theatrical experience too much because I think everyone not harp on it, baby. Harp, but harp. But I love the just being able to watch something like that and have this like the music booming at you and and yeah. just seeing it on a big screen. That ski chase is is yeah. so. I just remember being so viscerally excited by that ski chase, despite the fact that love it. you know this is not not a new movie. No. Um and and I was like, you know. I, I think that was one of the first times, and I think one of the reasons that this is, uh, without a doubt, one of my favorite Bond movies, is that it was the first time that I'd seen kind of the action of the older Bonds in a context where it made it really exciting and and not sort of charming in that Austin Powers way, but actually like an engaging action scene that was like the the ski chase and the, the that goes into the car chase that um, yeah. the way that that car chase is we'll the get ice this, driving yeah and it's so exciting and the, there's a lot of shaky cam and and like yeah, things yeah. that are sort of more modern techniques in terms of action that were utilized here and 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 where it's you that's know, awesome so even as a kid so you know we're, we're looking at like 2004 ish or so uh, obviously, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, didn't even have the best special effects in '69, right? No, no, no. nowhere near the. It's a yeah, not a huge low, budget. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty low budget film. They claim it was at about seven million. Um, so to see that in 2004 as a kid and still be like you know pulled into that world, right, and still like experience the you know all of those things as the filmmakers intended, that's impressive. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I don't uh, think I had the words to really describe it at the time. Sure. But I, yeah, I just remember feeling like I had left a a contemporary action movie. Like was yeah like, was that kind of you know into it? And I, I remember the audience reaction being generally the same. Like people were people loved really it. really enjoying it. Um, I love that. And so yeah. then from then on, from that, do you think it was that experience then that kind of like sealed this being one of your favorite Bond films or? Oh yeah, definitely. I think it's the the only 
one I've seen in theaters that isn't wasn't out yeah. post me being born. Like I, I don't right. think I've ever seen another one in theaters. Um, and with, despite the fact that they are pretty frequently released here, like they're usually kind of second run theaters will show them. You know, not pretty. It's not yeah. that uncommon. I just have never really gone, but. Um, but yeah, like this one really um, always stuck with me. And there was also just this, I don't know why, this feeling of kind of coziness too. Like there's this Christmas kind of element to it. All the snow, that just is Switzerland. Nice and, yeah, and, 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 and <laughs> you know, I think we we both there's found even this a out tree later in that we... There's even a Christmas tree in Yeah, and there's the presents, uh, they give out like, the presents, right? <laughs> the bad guy there, you know? Yeah, and... Um, <laughs> But we both talked about how we, we actually have both been to, I haven't been to Piz Gloria and you have, but I have, we've yeah. both been to this area of Switzerland. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Um, like I've hiked a lot of the mountains that you can see from the windows of, of Piz Gloria and all that. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say like super personal connections to the movie. It's not like I know anyone. No, but it's on a it really night, wonderful but, memory. But yeah, it's one of those, it's yeah. a movie that I can kind of put on and, and it's like a comfort food. And, um, and you know, I'm very, I had been a few years since I'd watched it now, and um, I was really pleasantly surprised that this still holds up, because I, I actually have been watching a few of the Bond movies lately, and I rewatched yeah. one of my other ones that used to be a favorite of mine, The Living Daylights with Dalton, uh-huh. um, and it didn't live up, still fun, like I still enjoyed it, but I yeah, just, yeah. It, it definitely um, was not as enjoyable to me as it was when I was in, you know, grade seven or whatever, um, so... Uh, yeah. That one, I was worried that this one would kind of have the same impact, that I would I would be kind of less intrigued. But I actually found myself really, you know, now that I'm at an age where I can kind of understand more about the techniques and the, the actual, like, craftsmanship of, of the film, um, I think that, yeah, this one really held up in terms of, of its... Just its, well, its unique story style too, but but let's. I want to hear yeah, from, yeah, from you yeah. too about you know what was your first sure, impression sure. and so, things so like that. So I, I don't have a I don't have any recollection of watching this when I was young. Now doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I didn't, but because you know uh, Bond films would have been on like Saturday. They would have been like a Saturday movie on the local TV station, you know, which in mm-hmm. my case would have been KPLR Channel Eleven, St. <laughs> right, Louis, K Missouri. Is what K was east of. The Mississippi and <laughs> I, I think yeah it's like what is it K and Q and w or something, or Q or something yeah. yeah who knows but our ours was KPLR so for anybody out there who's listening who who would be familiar with the St. Louis area I've got them stuck in my mind but you know so who knows it might have been playing at some point on television I might have watched it but I have no no recollection of this okay mm-hmm. and so you know when I was growing up uh, Roger Moore was the what kind of represented James Bond to me. Um, I, I didn't grow up with Connery of though, of course, like, you know, eventually, of course I saw his James Bond, but Roger Moore was the guy who was, who was doing the thing when I was a kid. And that was the, the first James Bond films I saw were the Roger Moore films. And then I, and it might've been, uh, View to a Kill was the first James Bond movie I saw in a theater. Mm. Um, then mm. of course they switched to Dalton and I remember seeing his films in the theater, but I don't have a memory of seeing this film until I got the exact same box set that you referred to and started going through film by film by film and watching them in chronological order. Mm-hmm. I, I had I, I don't even know if I because I'm again, I, I really enjoy the films, but I am not like a James Bond scholar. Right. I don't even know if I knew that Lazenby did Bond just this one film. I, right, I don't even right. know if I, I... I think that I thought that it just went from Connery to Moore, just boom. Yeah. yeah. So, so I was really taken aback when I first saw this film. And and this isn't even that long ago. We're talking maybe five years ago or so I saw this mm-hmm. film. Suddenly what I, some new guy. <laughs> yeah, for what I... Right, and matter of fact, I mean, I literally remember, I you know, I popped the disc in, and you know, like, the, the, um, the set, it just has, like, the name of the film. There's no, like, pictures yeah. or, you know... So I just pop in the disc, sit back, um, and I'm ready to watch the film. And it's like, wait a minute, this isn't Connery. Wait a minute, this isn't Roger Moore. What in the hell is going on here? Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until I got to the commentary track, which I watched right after I watched the film, that I understood what was going on. But I was, so so for me, I was like totally taken aback. Um, I was also extremely surprised about 
the the fact that Bond here has like uh, an actual relationship with mm-hmm. a woman actually gets married and actually yeah. there's like a sad like a like a sad ending like he gets married he's gonna live happily ever after with his wife and she's killed yeah like it kind of it, it almost in a way sets up the craig stuff like wow in terms of uh, steam a, and stuff right and in a way yeah in a way it totally does and and so i was extremely impressed to be honest um you know, uh, having kind of seen it as part of this chronological viewing, like me, you know, maybe I'd watched like one a week or something, right? So I had mm-hmm. kind of been gone through Doctor No, Russia with Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, and You Only Live Twice, and you know, I mean, those are fun movies, but there's definitely some cheese in there. Yeah, and I felt yeah. like this movie felt more grounded than what oh, had yes. come before it in a lot of ways, and I. I still thought it was like really beautiful. I thought it carried over a lot of this the the um the look of those earlier films which are really beautiful in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But and we're going to talk about this but but you can tell there's a, there's some difference in the editing, there's some difference in um and like I've already discussed in in George's performance and uh the story that's covered here. But yeah, so so that was the first time I'd seen it. So just 5 years ago. So it was actually pretty fresh to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned too the like that it changes the um, kind of whole idea of of like what a Bond structure is in the movie and how he, there is this kind of you know twenty minute sequence in it where it's, there's not really much action. It's just like them having this romance. Yeah. Oh no. There's like a really whole nice, montage yeah. with like a and, with um, a, with a Louis Armstrong song, dude. Yeah, and it's and it's yeah. They don't use the song for the opening credits. They they save the song for a montage in the middle. And there's well, we also start... this really. I I always like when like so. For example, in Sam Raimi's second Spider-Man movie does a mm-hmm. similar thing where there's like a forty-five minute section in the middle of the movie where he's not spider he loses his powers and he's just it's like right. this, there's this there's the uh raindrops keep falling on my head montage and he's just kind of a guy again going through mm-hmm. his day and i always like that when when these bigger sort of established movies where you have an expectation of what the structure will be kind of play it a little bit differently for a bit and i always like that about this one is that that you have again this this very quite endearing romance like i really like diana rigg well, i think diana rigg is great yeah I probably had a crush I, on her as i mean a kid, i but. think i think like right <laughs> off the bat right we we open up and you notice a couple of things different right off the bat we've got you 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 have uh within the title sequence which of course james bond films are known for and they they were known for even by this film you're known for their song and their title sequence that mm-hmm. kicks off the film so right here we have a title sequence that has uh, imagery from the first five films yeah and so which i don't think had ever been done before it hadn't recycled footage from previous films so we're like okay this is like they're that they're setting up something different here mm-hmm. and and there's no lyrics in the title track the title track is just an instrument yeah instrument, it's just the new instrumental theme song yeah it's just a new theme song but but it was it's not sung by anyone it's no. not you know they were no performances by known people right and they would always incorporate the title of the film into mm-hmm. the song mm-hmm. um and it's my understanding that the reason they didn't do this on this film is that they couldn't figure out a way <laughs> to have on her majesty's secret service be in the lyrics of a song and not have mm-hmm. it be ridiculous <laughs> yeah, i also i think it was also because dr no opens there's no theme song for dr no it just opens not? with yeah it's just it's the same thing where it's it's because it's the first james bond movie so it's the opening credits to that one were also the instrumental james bond theme oh, and i think john barry sort of wanted to make this the lazenby bond theme yeah because the okay. original swing you know surfer tune of james bond with the, the guitar is only in this movie i think like maybe once or twice it's very very sparingly used um, okay as as the you know the big action theme most of the music in this is the you know what we think of as the on her majesty's secret service theme um, yeah which is the opening credits as well um so i think they i think that might have been part of it too is that john barry kind of wanted to almost have this be like a, a fresh start a fresh start and start and, it in the same way and i love how they carry that right into the you know the film opens and yes, we yeah. have this like driving sequence and we have this really beautiful reveal of bond beautiful right? aston martin 
and and it's you know we have like these inserts of like you know we have like behind you know over the shoulder we're like looking through the windshield as we're in the car driving with him and we're along this beautiful coastline and then we have like an insert he like grabs a cigarette while he's like racing down the road and pops in his mouth and lights it and none of this we can't we don't we don't we can't see anything but the guy's like chin right yeah and i love how it's this slow reveal it almost reminds me of like how mad max is revealed in the first mad max where it's like it's it's like his his actions behind the wheel of the car are kind of like what we see first long before we actually see his face i love that he he like he's following this woman he parks he like is he going to kill her? He like opens the glove box and there's like mm-hmm. that, you know, the gun that's in pieces the, that you could assemble. And he's like, whoa, he's good. Is this like a target? But no, he like grabs the sight and he like looks out at this woman who's like walking into the ocean. You're like, what's going on? Yeah. At the, yeah. It's like beautifully shot. It's great. I think it's just such a wonderful introduction to the new bond. Yeah. Um, and but when it also, doesn't take itself super serious, like with the last no, line it's fun. when he's like, when well, he's like, well, this doesn't happen to the other fellow. <laughs> well, that's sure. And, you know, so he he's, you know, we can't we don't know quite what's going on, but he runs out. It's like looks like maybe this woman has run out into the ocean. We don't know if it's on purpose or what's going mm-hmm. on. He runs out, grabs her. Um, and and you're and then we have this great action sequence. Now, I want to talk to you about that uh, mm-hmm. before before we get to the little breaking of the fourth wall, which you jump to there. Because this is one of the first places where we see some new editing mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. in the film. Yeah. And and I'm curious what your thoughts are. Now, obviously, this film existed in a different era than we're in now. Um, but what are your thoughts on, on how the action sequences, specifically the fight sequences, are edited in this film? Uh-huh. What are your thoughts it's, on It's that? fast. It's very... It's like I, I almost want to use the word experimental in a way because it seems like they're trying this very at the time contemporary approach and Uh, uh of course in hollywood we have like the new hollywood starting and and all these right new editing styles that are very inspired from france and italy and things like that well butch cassidy and the sundance kid was the number one film of this This year year. yeah so midnight cowboy easy rider you know bob and carol and ted and alice um the graduate and all that yeah that's where we're at yeah Uh, and so i i think yeah that it's it's like it's interesting though to me because a lot of the choreography of the fight scenes is still that Connery era where it's like, you know, they just kind of throw each other into breakable <laughs> chairs and, and stuff like that. But it's weird because well, it's kind of paired with this really dynamic... Staccato. Well, it, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it, it, it's always fun to look back at these films and, and see where the art and where the craft has progressed because, you know, of course, nowadays we're used to you know, extremely specialized, like, stunt choreography with, you know, just, like, ridiculously skilled uh, stunt fighters or act some actors, you know, who mm-hmm. are really trained, um, like Keanu Reeves comes to mind or maybe a Tom Cruise, people who do mm-hmm. a lot of their fight stuff. But, you know, for the past 20-plus years, I mean, we're used to wire work and a lot of martial arts incorporated into this stuff. And back then, it's like you've just got, like, I think uh, Lazenby probably did all or most of his fight work himself oh, he's yeah. not a trained he's not trained in this and so they ha- i feel like they had to do so much you know they had to push so much with the editing you get a lot of like under cranking to try to make things move faster mm-hmm. you get a lot of like really staccato cuts jump cuts you get the very you- visceral sound effects you get these like over the top, yeah, Foley work where it's, yeah. you know, I mean, they're just pushing, they just push, push, push. Mm-hmm. And it would be so fun to have kind of witnessed this film in its contemporary time. Cause I do, you know, I do have to admit, you know, kind of watching it now, it feels a little, you know, I, it, it, it feels a little cheesy. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and I, you know, it's kind of like one of the complaints I have. Now, let's be honest, though, in a lot of contemporary stuff now, but as, which is especially true with television, less so with film. But this is very common with contemporary television where they don't have a lot of time and they don't have a lot of budget and they will just chop the hell out of a fight sequence so that yeah. they can hide the fact that, you know, that that this is not they didn't have time to really choreograph something extraordinary so it kind of feels like that's what you're seeing here in these Mm -hmm. fight sequences in my opinion but there is some interesting stuff you even almost have like these interesting jumps in like in in time and space that that almost feels a little surreal it almost it's it you know do you know what i'm talking about in this fight sequence where it's where we're almost like 
uh, it gives the fights like a very surreal feel, you know? Yeah. And it's almost, I think it's, it's like, it's this masking of what the actors were capable of and trying to make it a super spy. Right. And yeah, you know, even just like speeding elements up where, you know, where there's a punch, it'll, it'll go double (laughs) speed for a second. So it looks like it's a harder hit. And zoom in and like push in real hard or like pull Um, out real hard and, and, and yeah, and, I mean, again, the, this movie didn't have a huge budget, and I don't think any of them really did it at, at, until like the later Roger yeah. Moore era. And um, I and think what's fascinating about that, budgets. though, is that yeah, you you get so much of that, like what kind of Austin Powers made fun of, yeah, which is this this very B movie feeling, yeah, of like these aren't B movies, but there's a lot no. of elements of, and, and <laughs> you know, because it was really they were kind of independently financed and and yeah. so i think it's i also think it's it's unique because you go from again this this like massive volcano layer in uh you only live twice which right. also wasn't a hugely budgeted movie but they there was an incredible set that that blowfeld layer at the end but you go yeah. from that to a real location on this Swiss mountain that, that they mm-hmm. actually shot in that wasn't built for the film that, you know, so I think it's very fascinating that this movie feels a lot more grounded to me. And I know the, um, the director, Peter Hunt, um, specified that he wanted everything to feel like he didn't want it to feel lit and he, he wanted it to feel naturally, he wanted the sets to feel real and things like that. Not, mm-hmm. not like a well, studio. And so he intentionally, I think put, um, ceilings on all the the sets that were built that's so that, that they is couldn't, correct everything uh, has they ceilings. couldn't like studio light it and just yep. make everything really bright so that the cinematographer had to sort of work around that in, in light in a more modern yeah. contemporary way because most you know most of the time these days unless you're shooting like a big you know sound stage most sets do have ceilings because a lot of times things are shot on location in a house or something right and um so you wind up with this very interesting look of the film you know and and I think the cinematography is beautiful in it. Um, it's shot anamorphic. Um, there's a lot more dynamic camera movement than perhaps, you know, if you look back at Dr. Well, no, a lot of it's pretty, like, you know, staying in sort of wide shots with, again, just kind of flat studio lighting. And mm-hmm. and whereas you get this one kind of becoming a little bit more dynamic with, with transitions and, um, you know, just even the way that, like, you'll have a moment where somebody's incomplete shadow talking when, when uh bond goes in and finds the irma or whatever her name is the the angry german lady yeah. in the bed when she's she's <laughs> pretending to be one of the, the, the women and he goes in and it's this really like moody lighting and and he's kind of lit in sh- silhouette and then you he lifts her up and she lands right in this light perfectly and of course reveals herself so there's this yeah there's a lot of really interesting choices that i think kind of went on to i don't think this movie necessarily was the the epitome of what the 70s looked like but you can sort of see how they're trying to land in this more naturalistic style as opposed to a more formalist um style of the earlier 60s that was kind of going out of favor at this point um well even just within these films even just within these films i mean you know you can see where this film is kind of in a in a in a shift in the middle of a shift where mm-hmm. you know there are definitely setups here that look like they could have been pulled from any one of the earlier films mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but then you're right there are moments where especially in the action where we feel like this film is starting to take a transition mm-hmm. um which of mm-hmm. course this was like a huge period of transition in yeah. cinema you know period as a whole but I want to go back because you mentioned, and, and I think this is really fun. You mentioned at the end of the beach fight sequence in this first, in this first whole kind of setup here in the beginning of the film, where we're introduced to the new Bond, where you know he beats everybody up, he saves the girl, and he kind of like has this it's it's totally fourth wall breaking moment where he mm-hmm. literally looks at the audience and it's like this wouldn't have happened to the other guy. And yeah. then we boom, we cut right into the title, se- you know, into the credit sequence. Um, yeah, because of course Tracy I mean, runs away and <laughs> that steals could his ha- car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. I mean, that could have been that was like such a risk, mm-hmm. frankly. And I mean, we would never, like, you would never see that kind of thing happen in a Craig Bond or whoever's yeah. going to be the next Bond. These well, huge, you know what's giant- interesting about it though. 
is, and I don't think that it's, I don't, I almost don't believe this, but the screenwriter says that the reason that was in the movie was because he was making a reference to Cinderella because he's got the shoe. And he's like, well, this never happened to Prince, the prince incident, because, you know, the lady runs away and he's holding ah. the shoe. I don't believe that, though. I think it was, I think it was very much Boy, a tongue-in-cheek well, nod I, to Craig, or to I mean, uh, Connery. To Connery. I mean, but, look, it works both ways. It yes, works both yeah. ways, but it's it's like such a cheeky, like tongue-in-cheek, like nod to the audience and not, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Because he's it's supposed just... to be the same character, technically, but I love that. <laughs> yeah, I just like, well, like you said, this would never... And that's what I mean when I say that the, the movies today, not just the Bond movies, but but film in general, is so, so self-serious. Yeah, yeah. That it's really interesting to look even just at, like, the wider level of franchise in yeah. that, you know, you do, you have these elements that are just, yeah, like, like you can play with continuity. You can, you can kind of have these little nods to the fact that, yeah, this is a little bit silly that suddenly this new character, or this new actor is playing yeah. the same character. And it's the fact fun. that Telly Savalas and... Uh, you know, Lazenby's characters, Bond and Blofeld, met each other in the last movie, and they don't know, like, for some reason in this one, they have no idea who each <laughs> right. other are, right? Like, there's no, like, they don't mention the fact that they just had a big fight at the end of the last movie. And, and I, right. but I like that, you know, like, I, I'm yeah. like, I think these days, you know, you look at the Marvel movies, and it's like, God, I can't imagine a headache of, of writing one of those movies and being like, well, we have to make sure that this doesn't con conflict with anything that's happened in the last 28 movies we've done. Right. Like what a headache that would probably be. Yeah. Um, and, and yet in, and, and it's the same thing for bond movies though. Right. That like, I, I think one of the big reasons I haven't really enjoyed a lot of the Craig ones with exception to casino Royale. They're so serious. Um, was that, yeah, it's like you find, I found that I was I was really looking forward to No Time to Die because I was like, oh, this one looks like it's actually going to be kind of fun and, and mm. exciting. And I saw it and I was like, God, why is it got to be so serious? Why does so you know, why can't they just have a little bit of fun with them? And, yeah. and I hope that they go back to that for the next ones because they won't. That's, again, that's why I love Brosnan's is because Brosnan has the Brosnan action scenes in at least Goldeneye and. Uh, tomorrow never dies i think that they're really really well done and exciting action scenes and things like that and they're they, they feel very contemporary in that way where it's like the action's not dated it's exciting it's it's really well done and yet at the same time the movies do you know have a laugh occasionally at what they're doing like at how ridiculous these scenarios are and that would never happen today um, yeah like you'd never you know there's almost even a joke in Tomorrow Never Dies about the fact that the the villain, his plan is just absurdly complicated and stupid. And yeah. they're like, you like you really expect this to work kind of thing. And, and it, that's the joke is that, that this villain has this very, very stupid <laughs> plan to get like exclusive broadcasting rights in China. Um, and and but you would never have that these days. These, these days is you've got to have like Christoph Waltz having murdered Bond's brother when they were children or something uh, and you know but, that, and the here's twist the thing is that, is that it's personal and it's family it's, and yeah it's still as cheesy as ever though i yes. mean and, yeah and again, but unintentionally not, now right but like it's almost it's, yeah but it's still as cheesy as ever but they're like it's like they're so like they're so serious though yeah. that they're like kind of unwilling to kind of you know play with that anymore i think i mean Okay, now maybe we're going to get off the, the we're going to digress, or just take a second. Which was, wasn't, okay, which one, which Bond film was the one where they're like, the bad guy is like injecting them with something, or like, wasn't there like, it was one of the more recent ones, and like, oh gosh, which one was it? Where like the bad guy was like injecting them with like some kind of. Oh, is like, Craig, is Daniel Craig like strapped into a chair? And yes. Like a needle going. Yo, that was so that was Spectre. I think okay. that, so that was the one before. I was like, this last. is the most ridiculous crap I have yeah, ever seen. He's got like this a big desert so, base. Yeah. This is so goofy, but it was like played so serious that I was almost just like, come on, you gotta have like a little bit more. Well, and that's and and I think that this is an important conversation to have in this co the context of this movie. So I don't I don't think that we're digressing too much. Um, but it, it does it comes back to. This idea of like, and I know these movies are the Craig movies were were pretty critically successful with I think exception of Spectre and um, yeah. Quantum of Solace didn't do too well, but but I so clearly there's something that people like about them, which I'm I'm not going to fault anyone sure. for if if they if they like that, but I find the same issue with like the Nolan Batman movies mm. where 
you you you're they're trying to sort of have their cake and eat it too in building this really realistic grounded gritty you know world like oh this right. takes place in the real world where like real world things happen and you know cyber security yeah. and all these threats Ooh. but at the same time you're making a movie about a secret agent that's that's like sleeping with women and drinking martinis and going around the right. world and shooting right. and blowing up factories and stuff and it's like <laughs> i found yeah. that same thing with with the batman the nolan batman movies where i was kind of like you can't have a movie that's this gritty crime drama taking place in what is the, they're essentially trying to make Chicago or something and about the mob and all this. And then you also have a dude in a bat costume flying around, <laughs> right? Like right. you kind of have to, you can do it in a grounded way, but you kind of have to, you kind of have to lean into the cheesiness a little bit to I do mean, it. I mean, sometimes. I think that, I think that I, uh, Dalton and I think that Brosnan and I think, more really went to yeah. the comedy, but I think that Dalton and Brosnan especially kind of hit this pretty good balance between, you know, there's grittiness and it's a bit darker and it's a bit more real and a bit more violent and a bit more, you know, like you can really feel the punches but it's and all blood when people get shot. And yet at the same time, they're kind of still living in this heightened reality of, of supervillains and well, funny it's stuff, right? It's it's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's like, yeah, there's like a, it's it's kind of like not taking yourself too seriously, and mm -hmm. I think that's mm -hmm. probably the best way to. And you know, I'm sure the pendulum will swing in another direction at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, I think we had kind of like the the like pinnacle of 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 kind of slapsticky almost even with Roger yeah. Moore. And oh, definitely. Like the, and Which then was that like a slide of, whistle when they do a car jump and <laughs> right and like then that. and then that kind of you know and we kind of came, we've been going away from that ever since you know with yeah. Dalton Pierce Bronson and then of course like really hitting its apex with Daniel Craig right mm -hmm. where it's like they're really trying to make this like dark and grit like all the things you just described and yeah. I think at a certain point it'll it'll kind of come back in another direction it's just you know there has to be some kind of dynamic to it and you know uh this is the direction it's been going for a while i'm sure it'll swing back but i do find that this film hits a pretty good uh balance of those mm -hmm. things and and i also you know we haven't talked about it a ton specifically but lazenby's performance i mean mm -hmm. i think his performance is actually quite good in you know in contemporary reviews neither his performance or the film was reviewed well and it's hard to know if a lot of that was just because people didn't like change. They like Sean Connery a lot. Now we've got yeah. a James Bond that's not Sean Connery. This is sometimes jarring. It's hard to kind of process. Um, Whereas it's now, of course, the new Bond thing is is it's, what now is it's the understood. Big it's right? yeah. now it's it's part of the series, right? We've we've gone through enough Bonds. Everybody understands that some, you know an actor plays Bond for you know five or six films, and we get a new Bond. That's mm -hmm. how it goes. But he was the first, so. People only knew Bond to Sean Connery. So mm -hmm. it's going to be jarring. It's going to be shocking. Uh, we have like first time director uh, Peter R. Hunt. And he had done a lot of editing work. And, mm -hmm. and, and that might actually like kind of show itself in some of this um, editing that we've been talking about, especially in the fight sequences. Um, but he'd done a lot of editing, but this is his first film. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe this is why they got a little less budget. We talked about that. But yeah, um, it wasn't very well critically reviewed. Now, commercially, it, it it's not that it like tanked, but it wasn't as successful as some of the previous. I think eighty two million off of the seven million budget um, in its day. But you know, and I just like like right after we have the sequence on the beach, we we for the most part, we jump to um, Bond uh, returning to London. He's at his office. And I feel like this is good. I feel like Lazenby did such a great job. There's this beautiful exchange with Money Penny. You know, and they, there's this whole kind of running joke where they flirt with each other. And I feel like this was one of the better exchanges I've mm -hmm. seen in the films, especially mm -hmm. up to date. I felt like it was like tonally perfect. It was fun. And I, I feel like there are a lot of moments in this film where Lazenby does a really good job with these kind yeah. of things. I think he does a great job with his relationship with Diana Riggs' character. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, how did you feel about that? No, I, I actually, had... I've always liked Lazenby a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think as a kid, I always thought I wouldn't before I'd seen this because I remember, you know, other friends who were into Jay, like they always just kind of knew this one as like, oh, that's the one with the guy who's not very good. Like, and I think everyone sort of expects that because he only did one, but he chose to well, not come back. He wasn't fired. Um, but I think that, 
it's well he's australian yeah, that might yeah. throw off and that might have thrown but off some i think people, that even like he know? doesn't sound i mean he has a good job with the accent things like that and no he, he does sound like he's not like uh crocodile dundee or but anything. i just mean but i just mean you think about it right you're british mm-hmm. and james bond is your this is like this is your this is your man like, yeah well i remember it being a big deal when brosden was because he's irish right and so yeah so people were almost like angry. i don't know people always get i mean the british tabloids are always so silly about those things but um but no i, I mean think i guess, that, I guess um, to be fair i mean connery's scottish but obviously yes, yeah. that's still you know british isles but um yeah she is but uh, uh but yeah but no, I think, the, the i think that yeah i know i liked i mean I, I but i remember always thinking that that uh that um Lazenby does a good job I thought that you know I think Rig does a fantastic job I think that the, the Peter Hunt also I'm surprised that he wasn't asked to do more Bond movies I mean I guess the the critical well, he, I think he did second probably. unit stuff on the following film yeah but he yeah yeah but he never he never he did more directing also after his of other things but, but never he, Bond yeah, yeah. And, and I but I think that it's um it's like when you he he makes a lot of these decisions in it that are very fascinating to me that that wind up really great like again also choosing to shoot a lot of the interiors of Piz Gloria in the actual location so you get that like beautiful when the helicopters are coming to rescue Tracy and you've got the sun rising and you've got this amazing shot of Telly Savalas who's also fantastic like he's without a yeah. doubt my well, favorite what a, uh, yeah 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 blowfield but, I mean, but when I love you look Pleasance, out the window but... and and he like kind of walks over the window and and this there's this flare this like anamorphic lens flare coming through from the sun and you can see the the helicopters approaching and it it looks like in that moment something out of a contemporary movie almost just because of how yeah. back you know back then oftentimes an interior location would just be a set with like a rear screen you know projection or or a matte painting behind it or something like that like they wouldn't want to actually yeah. shoot the the uh interiors of a location on location because the windows would be you know the light would change and things like that so but that's also again to go back to our conversation before where you get into this sort of new hollywood style right where that's what new hollywood was 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 authentic was using natural light to shoot was you know getting out of this studio formalistic mode and and kind of using what's available and making things look a little bit more grounded and real and so i think that that also really works is that you don't have this big volcano layer you don't have this super villain with a i mean of course he's got a little bit of a ridiculous plan of (laughs) like but but speaking of grounded though props or whatever but (laughs) but speaking of grounded i mean you know uh Having having like uh, your lair at the top of the Swiss mountain with twelve young women mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> at an allergy center or whatever they call for, it right? for an allergy research institute. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like like for all of its groundedness that we're talking about here, I mean, uh, it still has like you know trademark bond. Oh goofiness. yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just in comparison to like a volcano layer, right? It's like, but oh, I love this is this. just a. I- it's just a I, real location on top of a mountain that that. But I love this exists, whole thing. Know? I love this whole thing. I mean, I have to admit, I was like a little confused with the whole like, how did Bond get there with this whole like, what was this weird well, he's like faking Blofeld's, Sir Hillary Bray? <laughs> like, well, well, like Blofeld is trying to like, uh, you know, he's trying to like get some kind of title or something, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, and, he's trying know, to assume the title of of like the French side of his family. Right, so that and he he can continue doing crime without being known as Blofeld, basically. And, and and so he's right, and so he's like trying to lay claim to this royal, this title of royalty, and so he's you know he's like some I don't even know what the position is called, but some kind of like what would you call this genealogy specialist or something? Yeah, like is, a I guess someone that has to administer the title and make sure that it's legitimate and all that. Right, right. So 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 Blofeld wants the you know wants to like verify his title and so Bond assumes a fake identity of the person who's going to go out there to certify or verify mm-hmm. Blofeld's title, okay? Yeah. Like wow, talk and okay for an American this stuff is like not it's not uh like immediately obvious like what all this stuff is because we're not (laughs) used to titles and all this other stuff so i'm kind of i had to like rewind it for a second i'm like wait a minute i got lost in this for a second so Mm -hmm. 
So I, I so I love that setup. And then we've got, you know, Lazen B flies and he goes all the way out to this like a lair that's out in the middle of nowhere in the Swiss mountains to do this thing for Blofeld. And I love that he shows up and he's being shown. Oh, and he gets picked up at the train station. And you'd mentioned her. Um, Was oh, it Hilda, Hilda or something? Yeah. Yeah, the the woman who is like the basically, I guess Blofeld's you know right hand, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's like beautifully played by the actress who plays. And I think it's is it Elsie Steppet? I think is the yes. actress's yeah. yeah. And and which is like perfect casting. I mean, she's fantastic in this. And and I just love how we kind of are introduced to the lair, and you know mm -hmm. we kind of see the little. You've got the the James Bond touches where he's like locked in his room. You have to press a button to get out. You know all this kind of thing, and like you said, they use the set, which is or a lot of it, which is really quite wonderful. But he's like got his kilt on, and he meet we meet the twelve you know the twelve women there that are like supposedly being treated for their allergies, right? And it's it's like Blofeld's Angels of Death. Of course, we don't know this yet, but we do know this because we know where it's going to go in some way or another. But I love that like they're different like nationality, like each one of these women is from a different part of the world, and I, they've got all their allergies, and we have this. Mm -hmm. This like, you know, some of the women are kind of flirting with Bond, you know, in his assumed, you know, tie, like assumed yes, uh, yeah. hilly fake identity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I love that when they sit down to dinner, like each one of them, like is only eating the thing that they were supposedly allergic to. So it's yes. like one of yeah. them has just like a plate of chicken. Another one has like just a plate of potatoes or whatever. It was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, that's hilarious. I, I'm just cracking up. I'm like, and it, but the costuming is so beautiful. All the actresses are yeah, really super wonderful. Yeah, super 60s, like late 60s. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, like you had mentioned Austin Powers. I'm like, I, this is like, he must have gotten so much inspiration for that film from this one scene alone. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I just love that the one woman takes her lipstick and writes, writes I guess her room number her yeah. room number on yeah. his inner thigh under his kilt i'm like ooh, risque yeah uh, but i i love that and it's just like it's and i feel like everybody there seems to be having fun like the actress like especially that that main angel of death the one woman who writes mm -hmm. on his thigh i just feel like they're having fun and it's like totally really enjoyable mm -hmm. right now it's like i feel like everybody kind of knows it's ridiculous but it's a movie and we're allowed to be ridiculous and it's fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I, I, I love, I think this is what you were talking about is really quite interesting where they had, we're, we're then, you know, so they do their whole thing and bond ends up going to her room later on in the evening. And that's when we're, we're, we as an audience realize that in the evenings, these women are being programmed with subliminal messages mm -hmm. from Blofeld. And part of that is that the ceiling it's is this like lights, yeah. wall wall of like rainbow kind of psychedelic lights and so you're right it's this really beautiful sets up this really beautiful uh shots they do this a couple times where he's kind of silhouetted in front of that and mm -hmm. we have blofeld's voice recording coming through we've got this really beautiful kind of psychedelic lights and i'm like yeah man this is like bond of the 60s you know mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah well, the beatles wrote this yeah it's like yeah it's it's extremely fun and like you said i've been to the the Piz Gloria, and mm -hmm. it really is an extraordinary location. It must have been an absolute nightmare to shoot there. Oh yeah, I can. Everything would probably have to be helicoptered up. Oh, and, yeah. yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, no, they. Well, yeah, shot. I, no, that's actually quite a popular shooting location for both Bond and I know another. I think I think Spectre was also shot there. And, really? Um, not at that exact location, but in that but, area, the, but the around Lauda there, yeah. Brunin area. <laughs> Yep. Um, and, um, but yeah, and the Phantom Thread as well. I, I went to the, I hiked yeah. up to the hotel that Phantom Thread is. So it's actually quite a popular, I yeah. think because the Swiss have just like engineered the hell out of those mountains and there's that's what they do. So much infrastructure that yeah. it's easier than shooting in, you know, anywhere else. But, um, 
not anywhere else, but any other mountains. Um, yeah. But no, I, and I love uh, Telly Savalas, the way that Let's Telly talk Savalas, about Telly. I want to yeah, talk about Telly. Yeah, the way that Telly. he holds the cigarette in this movie, whenever he's smoking one, he kind of holds it like it's like a, a wand almost. Like he yeah, has yeah, this yeah, weird yeah, yeah. underhand smoking technique. Yep, and I yep. have always used that whenever I've been in a, like a movie or a short film or, or like a play where I had to smoke a cigarette, I have always held it. I love like, it. I don't know why. It's just, it's just no, like I, I know adopted why. it I know Telly. why. Because it's awesome. I yeah, mean, it looks cool I, as hell. I was just watching. I mean, I was just watching uh, a film of Telly's, um, Sonny and Jed, which is mm-hmm. a yeah. uh, spaghetti western. I don't. Are you familiar with Sonny yes. and Jed? It's yeah. a Corbucci film. Um, Telly's fantastic in that film. I, 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 he's my favorite performance in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, every time I see him, I so thoroughly enjoy him. I have got to make it a point. I'm going to go look at his fil- filmography and and add the films that he's been in I have not seen yet to my watch list because every time I enjoy his performance. Oh, he's I, always so good. He's he's definitely one of, you know. He's fantastic. I, yeah. I mean, I remember. He's such a great Blofeld, so different. Like, he, he very clearly just kind of, you know, I don't know if this was a mix of his and the director's decision, but, but just, but completely throwing out the Donald Pleasance role, which wasn't bad. I like Donald Pleasance in the role, too. I like too, him, but, too, yeah. But having no interest in trying to do an impersonation of him. Which and you just have saying, to, like, yeah. I'm going to turn... Own. Yeah, and, it, and it's so you know what good, it is. it works I think so it's, well. It's earlobe acting, you know? Yes, I mean, once, yes. once you once you tack up the earlobes, man, I mean, it yeah. all... Like, that's what they teach you. I don't know if you, you know, if you studied acting, but that's, yeah, you it, know... It, it's it, you know, impressions a, a specific muscle <laughs> behind the... Uh, behind the the ears and yeah (laughs) yeah yeah but but i I, yeah i mean i think he's he's fun i mean you know i think oh i you know i want to talk because we talk about it is there are definitely like um some 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 b film kind of feels to this film in some places i'm curious if i think you mentioned that you noticed this too in some parts uh and i think um it's interesting to see and take for granted that today if you have any issues, you know, and you're sitting in post and, you know, some, you have some issues with some takes or things aren't lining up or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy, but a lot of times you have options to fix so many more things in post now with CGI mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, at, at, that we just take for granted now. Even simple stuff. I mean, just you and I as like really low budget independent filmmakers, we've got After Effects. I mean, there's so yeah, many I can things. paint a boom out of a shot or yeah. yeah, and it and it really is quite simple and looks quite good. But but in these films, obviously, this is not an option. And you can see, and it's just fun for me to kind of see this, where there's like jump cuts, where there was no reason for a jump cut to exist unless there was some kind of mistake they were covering up. A few mm-hmm. I noticed was the, um, like, for example, when, uh, when there was like an insert shot of the coat of arms when we mm-hmm, were talking mm-hmm. about the whole genealogy royalty thing, there's a jump cut there that I have just, there's no reason for it to exist. There's just, there's like, you know, it's an insert. We see the coat of arms. There's like a set of hands holding it and we just have this jump cut. It makes me wonder, like, I wonder what happened. Like, yeah. why did they have, did they have to splice two takes for some reason? They didn't have enough footage or something got damaged or who knows. There's like interesting cuts. There's like a, a wacky dissolve cut um, with near the end of the film where there's helicopters hovering over Blofeld's lair that just like doesn't exactly line up. So the helicopters just kind of like fade dissolve away into place. And dissolve in, <laughs> and then like dissolve into another helicopter like two feet away from it. Yeah. And I, it just makes me wonder, you know, just from the mechanic, like just loving to know more about the mechanics of filmmaking. This isn't me knocking the film, but when I see those things, it always makes me wonder what happened. What's the story behind that? You know, yeah, yeah. what, you know, why did they have to take those steps to do it? I, I would imagine that an audience back then probably would never even had noticed. And maybe most audiences even wouldn't notice even today because they are really minor. Did you notice any others? Those are the two that really stood out to me. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, the I mean, during the skiing sequence, a lot of the times when someone like falls or something, it just kind of cuts to someone not moving instead of showing a crash <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and things like well, that. You know, well, like, you, there was a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, yes, in, yeah. in general, in generally, in general, you'll see, and this is where I think some of the you start to see some of the lack of budget come into play, right? Where you'll have the setup of some kind of thing, and then we just cut to like, like it's. 
we're missing the impact, right? Because they couldn't yeah, show it, it you or, know? Cause they, yeah, like a fight where, it, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, you have a shot of someone winding up a punch and then it'll yeah. cut really quickly to them having already, already extended their fist and like they're the guy already, falling over. Yeah. yeah, they're like already, it's like, it's like, wait a minute, we're missing like the actual... The, the, like, key, yeah. the key part of that yeah the impact yeah. part of that and we know why right it's like they're having to hide the fact that you know they can't actually be doing these things but mm-hmm. um but i think you know but overall though i mean and we touched on it a little bit i really enjoyed the action sequences and i think my favorite was the like the ice racing where yes. Yes. I, I love the fact that um that they actually had real cars on a mm-hmm. real ice track. And as somebody who's kind of a car fan, you know, I just love, I mean, it, it, it was a mixture of really fun action, but actually kind of goofy slapstick. You've got mm. this, like this Mercury Cougar, much larger car than most of the other European the cars. Rally on cars track. Yeah. You've yeah. got all these little like um, mini Coopers mm-hmm. and you've got this big Ford, and I love that they're and they're on actual ice. Mm-hmm. And I did it was like bumper cars. I just they would like bing and like a little mini would go flying off. You know, it was almost Spinning like out. A, yeah. it was yeah. almost like Mario Kart is actually what it made me think of. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is almost like Mario Kart. Just but it was but you could tell it was real. You could tell they didn't fake the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, it was real cars. And I thought it was actually really well shot, really fun to watch. The skiing footage, a lot of that, I felt like was, especially, you know, the actual real footage, the yeah, aerial photography yeah. of real skiers, I thought was amazing. Yeah. You know, sadly, and I think it's a good microcosm of what we're talking about here, you have these really extravagant, beautiful shots kind of juxtaposed with really not great rear projection. Yes. You know, yeah. in, yeah. The rear projection during the skiing especially is not uh, and, particularly and I get great. It. Yeah. I get it. Like, that was the technology of the time, so I'm not knocking the filmmakers at all. Mm-hmm. But but I think, you know, if you look at the height of special effects, which this is a yardstick that, frankly, some current films don't meet. You know, in 69, you had, like, the height of that technology would have been, like, 2001, Kubrick's yeah. film. Now, but to try to compare almost any film to that is just not fair. But mm-hmm. that gives you kind of like that was the, the pinnacle, the zenith of special effects at that time. Yeah, obviously Planet of the Apes this, had been out too and things like that. Yeah, yeah. obviously this does not meet that level. Well, but, I, then that was, that was one thing too I wanted to discuss about when did James Bond sort of become like ah, this prestige action right franchise where it never really was up until again i want to say like the the like end of dalton because because i yeah. sort of mentioned that before where like dalton dalton sort of began this not him himself but his movies sort of began this phase of like i guess it was a little bit with with more too because moonraker was definitely kind of riding on the success of star wars but dalton right, yep. really with dalton it really like living daylights is very much raiders they're very much responding to the success of indiana jones and then um license to kill is very much responding to miami vice like that is literally bond versus cartels and you know i hadn't thought of that yes um, yes yes i see and so it's like they almost started looking at these more like not necessarily more successful but these really popular elements of media at the time and going with them brosnan sort of brought it back like i don't think that there's very many explicit references to other media or or like homages to in Brosnan's right. work um but but they are very much like these really high budget yeah you know prestige well big. made i mean you yeah know, you're getting you're talking a hundred million plus budget yeah for, and then and then with craig it really Brosnan. became obvious when craig took over and it was very much a response to born like the Bourne movies had come out and, and everyone wanted these really realistic, bloody, you know, knuckle-beating assassin kind yeah, of yeah. spy movies and, and Craig yep. fell into that role. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that you kind of have this evolution, yeah, where it's like, again, they weren't, the earlier Bond movies weren't necessarily B-movies. They had budgets, but they were these kind of independently financed, goofy, especially yeah. with more, fell into a lot of slapstick comedy um, sort of like... Well, I- yeah, and then suddenly I mean, the there fir- were these the first three, things, right? The first three Bond films do. So, so Doctor No had a budget of one point one million. 
Yes, but yeah, yeah. And and even adjusted, I mean, that's maybe eight or nine million dollars ish, maybe yeah, ten today. today. Yeah. I, that that's a minuscule budget. Mm-hmm. Russia for, uh, from Russia with love was two million. Mm-hmm. Goldfinger was three million. So it's yeah. not until you get to Thunderball that you're even. I mean, that was six point eight. You're talking really low yeah. budget films, and you're right; they were basically independently financed. Um, but you do see. I mean, it was. I feel like, you know, kind of like Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, like those were big films as far as box office goes. I mean, those were huge in the mm-hmm. late 70s, uh, but they still had And you started getting sort of this small celebrity budgets. too, right? Like where yeah. like Christopher Walken is the bad guy in A View to a Kill, right. and Grace Jones is the henchman. And, um, you know, you really started to see, and who is it... Uh, Who's the bad guy in in License to Kill? He's uh, uh, License to Kill is I'd, um, I'd have to. Well, I've got him here. Um, was it Robert no, Davy? Yeah, and Benicio del Toro's in it. He's not the bad guy, but Robert Davy is the is is Sanchez. The, so you started yeah. to sort of see these like actors that would go on to to um, you know really have these huge. Benicio del Toro obviously is a huge actor today. Yeah, um, I had forgotten and, he was in that. Yeah, yeah, and so it's it's interesting though to, that you kind of have this transition from like in perhaps I guess the late seventies into the eighties where Bond became this very sort of prestigious like you think about you know how well it's how a brand it's a huge big brand. is it to get the song to be a, an yeah. artist and get the bond song or yeah a director like the, there's so much fanfare about who's directing the next one who's gonna be the next it's bond. a big machine it's um, a big machine which scares yeah. me which scares me yes, because yeah. it scares me because and again you know we're not to beat a dead horse but on those earlier films and the one we're talking about right now included there was i feel like there was there was space to have fun in it mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. be tongue in cheek and to be and a, a little sense goofy. of personality and, yeah. and right and all of that kind of adds up to exactly that there was a sense of personality to it right and and this is where i'm a little bit with all of daniel craig's films i i, I wonder if the box is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and you know especially if we look at the trends in 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 cinema and especially hollywood today which is you know trying to replicate over and over and over the excess of the previous film and the franchise mm-hmm. and being more and more afraid to take any risks outside of that, you know, it, I mean, it's a giant machine now. I mean, here well, we yeah, have a, yeah. a series of films that have been going since 1962. They now, you know, now we're talking, I don't know about global box office, but I'm guessing that almost every or maybe every one of uh, Craig's films probably nabbed a billion dollars-ish Mm-hmm. I think I think Skyfall was the first one to pa- pass it, but they all made hundred like at least a high hundreds of millions. Yeah, yeah. a hundred. I mean, at least. And I again, I don't know, you know, domestic versus global, but it's a big brand. It's a huge brand, and mm-hmm. the marketing and you know, like I mean, they sell everything off, right? Like what kind of car he drives is sold to the highest bidder. What kind of watch he wears is Your sold phone, to the highest yeah, bidder. Yeah. Like what kind of phone? Right. What kind of phone he uses? What kind of suit he wears? I mean, it's like it's insane. It's a giant machine. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see kind of where it goes next. Now, have well, you heard? Who, who, I don't do, know, but do it's, know? It's, what's interesting to me about that too, and, and not to digress too much as we as digress we kind of away. Near our end, digress but away. I want to compare it very briefly to um, like Mission Impossible because that's another mm. big spy franchise at this point. Right. And I, you know, my favorite Mission Impossible movie is the De Palma one. I think that that's to me, it's the only one that's like really a very very good fun actual good film yeah it's Um, actually good film yeah but i know that the recent ones like since ghost protocol which was kind of the reboot i think that was the fourth one that came out they've been getting a very you know they've been having a lot of critical success and a lot of people talk about how make a ton of money good they are and i find it interesting though because all everyone ever really talks about about those is like what is the new like gimmicky stunt in them like cozy climbing the and and i but i've was talking to a friend about this the other night where i was like i don't think i can remember who the bad guy is in the last like three of those, and I've seen. I have them no all. idea. I have no. I idea. have no idea what the plot is in I, either I don't even, any of yep. them. Um, and so it's interesting that if there's one thing that I'll say about these old Bond movies, it's like I always do remember the villain. They always have very memorable. Maybe I'm not going to remember their convoluted plans. Is like I don't think I remembered what Blofeld's specific plan was before watching this, but I yeah. remember Telly Savalas for sure. 
I remember the vague idea of what happens and the kind of like I could tell you a pretty good recollection <laughs> of what the movie's about. And so I think it's interesting that nowadays these things are moving into and I find this with the, the modern Bond movies too, where I I can't. I almost like yeah. you know, I know that Christoph Waltz was the bad guy inspector. Right. But what was he doing? I know he played Blofeld. Like that's the big reveal is that he's secretly Blofeld. And he's a great actor. And it's yeah, not like and it was, he's not I actually a great predicted actor. that. Yeah. Another digression. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, when I was in grade ten, I made a fake. One of my assignments in a class was to make a fake James Bond movie, um, like uh-huh. DVD case, uh-huh. and I made one with with Christoph Waltz playing Blofeld, and it was like all about Spectre and stuff like that, and coming back, and then like a well, year later, you know, I spo- I spoofed so. Skyfall, right? Where, yes, yeah. uh, like I, I uh, back when Skyfall was like fresh, when it was like just released, I, <laughs> I made. My, one of my good friends and I shot a fun little, you know, five six, sky mall, right? Sky, we uh, <laughs> yeah, we well, it is funny. We did. We shot we shot a spoof called Sky Mall, uh, where James Bond's budget has been slashed, and mm. so uh, Q says, you know, all, the only thing we have budget for is, you know, here's a Sky Mall catalog. You got to you got to pick something out of here to complete our next mission. And uh, so he does, and wackiness ensues. But actually, we actually got uh, Sky Mall used that for oh, some really? of their promotions. They you know, they actually paid me. Like That's I fun. I don't know how they even found. I don't even know how they found it. Um, but they actually paid me a little bit to use that short film, parts of it, in a promotion that they were doing <laughs> at the time. That's uh, but, good. But I I'll say this: it was really fun to do. But I but I'll say this: um, I've learned a lot about filmmaking since then. But I am still extremely proud of the parody song that we mm-hmm. actually completely re-recorded, um, which is up at my YouTube channel. But uh, we actually completely, the, my, my friend and partner who worked with me on that Sky Mall short is also a musician, has a lot of musician friends. They actually got studio time. We wrote like all new lyrics and completely re-recorded that Adele theme song for Skyfall uh and i'm super proud of that actually yeah well it's actually funny because i i when i i guess when i was in grade nine i had written um these like this trilogy of james bond movies that were probably all 20 minutes or so and um i remember buying the rights to this someone had made this james bond song to like try and get it to be the next song on youtube to uh, hope ooh. that like you know yeah, Eon yeah. would buy a little self-promotion thing. sure and uh, i remember contacting to the person and sort of saying can i use your song in my my james bond movie and um i never finished it but uh. i remember i i did pay them for the rights and i it wasn't very much i think i paid them like a 100 bucks or something i was yeah, oh, that's funny. Broke high schooler at the time, but um, maybe but you yeah, should go so back. I, and I wrote these like very, yeah, like very uh, detailed scripts about. I could probably probably still have them somewhere, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm uh, surprised I, there aren't more sat- satires and parodies of the of the uh, of the series. All yeah, right, I think man. I think Austin Powers probably kind of closed the door on that. Closed the door on that. Yeah, it's like boom. What else is there to parody? Yeah, yeah well. Yeah. I, I this is a blast, man. I it's it's fun to go back. This is the I think an underappreciated film, at least mm-hmm. you know by many people. And it wasn't a film that would have been, jumped out at me as one to discuss, but I've really enjoyed it. And hey, yeah, yeah, everybody out there. I mean, even if you're not a Bond fan, I I think the movie stands on its own. I think it's a really fun time capsule of its era. Um, I think it's still it almost really makes more sense if you watch it on your own versus like coming. I out think of, you only live twice because yeah, honestly, <laughs> a I, lot honestly, of incongruencies. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, if you just kind of watch this standalone on your own, I think that you'll be better off. But yeah, it's it's a wonderful film and it was a blast to watch and it was a blast to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I hope uh, our listeners out there enjoyed hearing us blab on and on about it. Yes. Well, it looks like I have a decision to make. What film will I choose? Mm-hmm. I don't know yet. Your but decision. We'll find out. Should you we'll choose find to out in it. two. We'll find out in a couple weeks. All right, everybody. Uh, have a wonderful couple weeks. We'll see you next time. Thanks mm-hmm. for listening. Mm-hmm.